Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ben Simmons, Kevin Kiermaier, Ben Simmons, Kevin Kiermaier. What will be the word of the day? What's the first story of the day? And then it happened. Nah, 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 nah. I wanted that to be the word of the day. So I said to Coca, how about that? And I sent it in a text. Nah, and I just wrote N-A-N-A-N-A-N-A-N-A-N-A-N-A. And he thought it meant one thing. I thought it meant another. That's the beautiful part about communication. And thank God we talk about the show so often. Nah, 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 nah. Ben Simmons will not play for the Sixers anymore. That's what he's saying to the Sixers. Nah, 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 nah. And what Coca thought it meant was nah, 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 nah. Hey, hey, hey. Bye. See you later, Philly. We're going with Ben Simmons to start the show. Nah, 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 nah is the word of the day. Ben Simmons signed a max deal for the Philadelphia 76ers, which was the fault of the Philadelphia 76ers because he is not max worthy. Ben Simmons was part of the process. Ben Simmons worked with Joel Embiid to form the dynamic duo along with Harris and whoever else they could bring in and have it not work. They're going to make it to the NBA Finals. Not quite yet. They're going to win a championship. Not quite yet. Ben Simmons is going to take the ball at the end of the game. Not quite yet. Ben Simmons can't shoot quite yet. Ben Simmons can't shoot free throws. Ben Simmons is one of the main reasons the Philadelphia 76ers are not performing at the level that the process said they would. Yet the Sixers give him a max deal because the front office was knee deep in their process. One of the great qualities that a bad front office can have. Hello, I'm not throwing stones. I live in a house that look, look out. It's breaking. (laughs) That's the glass breaking. Fall in love with your own inventory. You don't want to give up on what you thought you believed in on what your evaluation was. You refuse to believe that you were wrong until it's too late. Because now for the Sixers, it's too late, baby. It's too late. Though we really did try to make it, something inside the spectrum is dying. Thank you, Carol. Word comes out yesterday that Ben Simmons is saying, I am never playing for the Sixers anymore. I will not put on that uniform again. It's a source. But when you're a source from... ESPN and you're the guy who gets paid all the money to be a source. Eh, My guess is you may be right. We've talked about Ben Simmons, the fact that 
Daryl Morey, the new head of basketball operations, and Doc Rivers, the coach, they have a major problem. They met over the offseason. NBA starting up again next week is media day and training camp opens. Regular season starts a month from two days ago, October 20th. And we've said on this show from minute one that Simmons is going to get traded. He won't be on the Sixers next season. And that's because my belief is the Sixers need to make a decision finally to help themselves. But now I started thinking about what I would do if I got word that a player had announced I'm done. It's not like when Yelich said, I don't want to be on the Marlins or Stanton said, I don't want to be on the Marlins. JT, I want to win. Players say that all the time. I want to win. Trade me to a place where I can win. But if you're going to offer me the max contract or a guaranteed contract, you had me at hello. But then if you don't do what you said you were going to do, which is what everyone says they're going to do, and I'm not happy, I'm going to say no mas. I'm good. I'm done. But what really bothered me about Ben Simmons yesterday, assuming the source is right, if it comes out the source is wrong, then just delete the show, undownload it, skip it, pretend you didn't hear it. But let's just pretend that Simmons doesn't show up to media day, doesn't show up to the first day of practice, doesn't want to play for the Sixers. Should the Sixers fine him up to $220,000 a day? save some money? Should they trade him and get less than what he's worth? That's been the big discussion in Philadelphia. We can't trade him. We're not being offered three firsts, three seconds, three thirds, four sevenths, and LeBron. Ben Simmons is worth nothing. When you meet with your front office and you're going through an issue that you're having with a player, and you realize that you've been backed into a corner because of a mistake you've made, it absolutely sucks. Because first you have to admit it, and then you have to fix it. And to fix it, you have to... I don't know if you could hear that. Let me see if I can put the microphone right next to the Adam's apple, right? <laughs> Coca, do we hear that on the soundboard? You have to swallow hard. And I mean harder than anything you've ever seen. Because at the end of the day, it's about your team, isn't it? But how many executives don't make it about the team? They don't make it about winning on the court. They make it about setting an example and winning off the court. And this is the moment where the Sixers cannot worry about off the court, on the court, reputation. They've got to jettison Simmons to any team that will take him. Now, the alternative is not a terrible one. Make him inactive. Or if he shows up, you have to pay him, but don't play him. Let him sit on the bench for 48 minutes a game. That works with some players. With Ben, it won't. Doesn't seem to matter to Ben whether he plays or not. Doesn't seem to matter to Ben anything other than getting paid. But then is he really going to sit out and risk getting fined? Or does he think that the Sixers wouldn't go through with it and they're actually going to trade him before they fine him? So I've got a little solution. I'm not going to trade him until I start finding him. I'm going to take money out of his pocket. I'm going to make his salary more reasonable for the teams who acquire him because his salary is in a way that he's getting paid quite a bit of money before the season starts. And I'm going to do the best trade I can 
And then I'm going to go meet the team. And this is going to be the most important team meeting I've ever had. And what the team meeting says is, listen very carefully, gentlemen. We traded Ben Simmons because we were not going to win with Ben Simmons. We made a mistake in signing this player to a maximum deal. And rest assured, we believe in this locker room. We believe in the players we have here. We believe we are a better team without him than with him. We believe that we made the right decision by moving him. However, don't you dare copy him. Because I'm on record right now as president of the Sixers as saying that what we just did to Ben to make our team better in my career, never say never, I will never do that again. I will not allow you to have that type of power where you sucker me into signing a max deal and then five minutes later, you want to get traded because you suck and you're angry. I did it now because I wanted to show our fan base, our sponsors, our owner, and you, the players, that we're not going to be held hostage but never again. Is it really possible that Ben said what he was accused of saying? That under no circumstance will he put on a jersey? That he met with Team Brass in August and hasn't spoken to them since and won't speak to them again? Was he taking their calls when they were offering him the max deal possible? Sort of a lesson for all of us outside of the sports world as I think about it, as I was thinking about this topic, thinking about where I wanted to go with this. People choose money sometimes over love, don't they? People choose power and money over happiness or location. People choose security. If they're offered a two-year deal at a company, they'll stay there even if they're not happy just to have the security, just to know they're going to get paid every two weeks just to get life-changing money or life-affirming money or life-living money. Everyone has a different scale depending on how much money you're making or what your lifestyle is. There's people who make $10 million a year and that's lifestyle living money because that's how much money they spend to live. There's people who get paid $70,000 that that is unbelievable largesse because they don't spend that much to live. When you're making the decision of what to do, do you compromise your principles? If you don't like smoking, do you take a job at Philip Morris? If you don't like what someone did and you're a lawyer, you think they're guilty, do you take their case, forgetting the constitutional reasons? At what point do you swallow hard and say, show me the money, give me the money, I'll take the money? And then ask us to feel sorry for you when you're unhappy at work. Ask us to feel sorry for you when you don't like the people you work with. Ask us to feel sorry for you when you're not doing the specific job you were told you were going to do. It's slightly tweaked because it turns out either you're not as good at the job as you thought you were or your boss doesn't think you're as good as you think you are. Hmm. I don't think anybody's going to criticize any decision that anyone makes. So I'm not criticizing Ben for taking the max dollars. I'm not criticizing you for signing on or staying at a company that you're not completely happy with. But how would it go over if you signed a contract with your company, you show up to work, you're unhappy and you say, you know what? 
I'm never coming to this office again. I am never showing up to work again. 9 a.m. comes, tick-tock, tick-tock, I'm not here. One o'clock meeting, sorry, not interested. Hey, we have a meeting to discuss strategy for next season's launch of the following 10 products of which you're in charge of three of them. Sorry, busy, don't want to do it. Not happy with my boss, not happy with the people I work with, not happy with my virtual desk mate. How long would you last at that company? Why are athletes treated any differently? You'd be gone so fast, boom. Jennifer Beals wouldn't catch you. You'd be gone in a flash. Ben Simmons is finished as well he should be. You know, the Warriors are a team who's won a few titles. They've had their issues between Durant and Draymond. They're trying to come back with Seth Curry. Seth Curry, no, Steph Curry, still one of the top two or three players in the NBA. I have an underground, what I think is turned into an underground issue here, Coke. Can you see it on the camera? Do you ever feel that when you're getting an underground, what you assume is going to be a volcano that's going to explode and you can't stop playing with it or touching it because it just feels weird and you put your tongue up to where it is and then you take a clean napkin because you don't want your greasy fingers to be on the place that's greasy because you think that'll make it worse. So you rub it with a handkerchief that you use to actually wipe the sweat and even your nose and then you can't stop thinking about it when you're in the middle of a show. Does that ever happen to anyone? The Warriors owner said something interesting about Ben Simmons that I want to mention because I think it's tampering. I think he's going to get fined. And it's a quote that was from Joe Lack of the owner of the uh, Warriors talking about Ben and the possibility of the Warriors trading for Ben because Ben, in addition to all the other stuff I just said, said to the Sixers, by the way, I'm not showing up for anything. I'm never putting on your uniform. P.S. Could you please trade me to California? I'm going to trade him to the most East Coast team possible. The owner said, in some ways, it doesn't really fit what we're doing. He makes a lot of money. That's true. But then what the owner said is amazing. And can he finish games? I don't know. Huh. Interesting. I think the Sixers are going to be looking for another guard. And I know just where they should look. If they can't get a trade done for Ben Simmons and they just make him inactive or he they make him active, but he doesn't show up. I know what the Sixers could do. They can go to LinkedIn. Because I don't know if you know this, LinkedIn jobs will help you hire the right person for your role. I need a point guard, LinkedIn. I need a starting pitcher. I need some relief pitchers too. A bat off the bench wouldn't stink. Many business owners are busier than ever because they're focused on managing and growing their businesses and winning games. They can't always spend the time they wish they could on recruiting. Sometimes they just can't find the right people to recruit. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has made it easier to find and hire the best candidates for free. Well, you can find them for free, but then you got to pay them. LinkedIn's got a network of over 740 million professional basketball players. It's a very simple process. Do you know your first job post is free on LinkedIn? Just go to linkedin.com slash Samson. Again, that's linkedin.com slash Samson to post your first job for free. And here's how the post goes. Looking 
for a point guard, preferably 6'6 or taller, though I'm not allowed to say that in this post. The ability to dribble would be important without a bib. Playing with others matters too. Showing up on time doesn't hurt. Possibility for great salary guaranteed. And if you're not happy, you can complain your way out of this company. That's linkedin.com slash Samson to post your first job for free. But don't forget, T-E-R-M-S-A-N-D-C-O-N-D-I-T-I-O-N-S-A-P-P-L-Y. Ooh, we're hot in the pick of the day, by the way. Did you take the Jays over the Rays? We are 122 and 101. We're back to over 20 games over 500. The Jays and the Rays had a fascinating game, which the Jays prevailed. The Jays, the Jays, Red Sox, and Yankees all won. The Red Sox and Jays continue to lead the wild card with the Yankees a half game back. It's going to be a wild last 12 games. Something happened yesterday that could have let off the show. Kevin Kiermeyer. The Tampa Bay Rays are the example extraordinaire of an organization in baseball. They're smart. They're honest. Their front office does it right. They are deep with talent. Their tree extends from L.A. to Boston and all places in between. Something happened during the game two nights ago that has gotten so much attention and you're all waiting to hear what I have to say, aren't you? Oh, I'm going to tell you what I have to say. Here's the backstory. Kevin Kiermeyer plays for the Tampa Bay Rays. Kevin Kiermeyer is running home to score a run slides. The catcher, Captain William Shatner Kirk, catches the ball, tags the runner. A piece of paper comes out of Spock's pocket. It's on the ground. Kevin Kiermeyer takes it all in a very quick motion and heads toward the dugout. Turns out the piece of paper that he took was the cheat sheet that the catcher has on how to approach all of the Tampa Bay hitters. Let me first give you the facts about the cheat sheets. Have you ever seen a quarterback? I think Tom Brady may do it when he's got something on his arm and it sort of lifts up and it looks like a bunch of writing. That's the playbook. Those are the plays. Sometimes the first 50 plays, sometimes the formations, that the quarterback can look at, and then when he's calling the play, he'll look at his arm and then call the play. Have you ever seen baseball players? Sometimes they take their cap off and they look inside their cap. Believe me, they're not praying to the baseball gods. They've got stuff written in there on defensive positioning. What we do is we have little marks on the field, little marks in the infield, and we are telling our players when each particular player is up, even when there's a specific count at an at-bat of a certain player, you're going to stand here. You're going to stand there. We're about to throw a 2-1 breaking ball against Kevin Kiermaier. You're going to stand to the right of the spot, two steps. So it really does get that specific in terms of defensive positioning. In terms of catchers, if you look at many catchers, they have what the quarterbacks have. And what that those papers say are the counts and the pitches that should be thrown on different counts in different situations. Some catchers are looking into the dugout before they give a sign. Just FYI, what they're looking into the dugout for is whether or not to throw to first. 
That's the sign that comes from the manager when he touches his nose, his chin, his ear, maybe takes his hat off and wipes the sweat. There is a sign that is throw to first. Then the catcher puts the pinky down generally, and the pinky says to the pitcher, throw to first, do a pickoff move. But in terms of calling pitches, it is very rare for the dugout to call the game. It happened maybe just a few times in my 18 years. The catcher who has a pregame meeting with the pitcher and the pitching coach, they have the approach on how they're going to pitch to each hitter, and then the catcher calls the game. That's why you see so many 200 hitters who are really good defensive catchers. They call a good game Why they're making three, four, five million dollars a year because calling games is hard. So what catchers do is they keep a piece of paper that says, all right, when it's a two one count against Kiermaier runner on second under two outs, we are going with fastball. He puts down one finger. So he looks quickly and that's his piece of paper. That piece of paper is very valuable because it has proprietary information. It doesn't have the formula for new Coke. It doesn't have the nuclear codes. It doesn't even have phone numbers of the people in section 14 row B. But it does have information that you do not want the other team to get. So Kevin Kiermaier sees the piece of paper, grabs it, goes to the dugout, his own dugout. He doesn't look at it and then give it back to Captain Kirk, he looks at it and walks back to the dugout, gives it to someone in the Tampa Rays dugout, and then has the audacity to claim, well, I don't know what happened to the piece of paper. And the Blue Jays are furious and rightly so. Tampa Bay, you are better than this. That is cheating the same way that hitting garbage cans is cheating. And don't give me your crap. Oh, he, he dropped his wallet. That's his fault. I'll take everything that's in it. I'll take the money in the credit cards. Oh, he left his phone in the car, in the cab. That's my phone now. Finders, keepers, losers, weepers. Is that really what we're going to say happens on a baseball diamond? For all of the people defending what Kiermaier did? Well, it was his fault that, that it was dropped by the Blue Jays. GMAB, do what's right. You give that paper back immediately and you say, hey, you drop this. And it takes one second to look at it, see that it's not yours and say, oh, this must be yours and then move along. Tampa Bay doesn't need to cheat to win. It's the opposite. They're smarter than everybody else and that's why they're winning. So this happens. The Jays are pissed off as they should be. And the Rays made a PR blunder of all blunders. They did not properly prepare Kevin Kiermaier for when the media was going to attack because this became a national story when everyone had an opinion. Kiermaier said the play happened so fast. It happened so fast. I picked it up. I didn't know what it, what it was, whether it was mine or not. They're all pretty similar, he said. As I picked it up, I realized it was that. But I never looked at it. But at the same, that's, and okay, let me rewind. Coca, 40-69. When you have to prepare a player to meet the media and there is a crisis in communications or some sort of issue that you know is a little prickly, you give the player several talking points very easily digested and you say that is all you're going to say. Don't ramble. Don't say, uh, uh, you don't do a Garrett Cole with foreign substances. 
You are quick. You're to the point. You're succinct. And you acknowledge that what you did was wrong. So the talking points are this. I didn't exactly know what it was at first. But when I saw what it was, I should have given it back to the Jays. I gave it to our bench. I didn't follow up. But I assume that it was given back. We want to beat the Jays. We want to beat the Jays. We want to beat the Jays fair and square. Even with their book on us and our tendencies and how to pitch us. We know we can still beat them. Instead, Kiermaier went way too far because he said, I'm not going to drop it or hand it back. I don't know what their thoughts were about it or whatnot. But at the time, though, I saw it on the ground. I picked it up nonchalantly, not thinking anything of it. I have a question, Kevin, just a simple question. If you bring something to your dugout and you tell someone in the dugout that I grab something from them, I just know it's not mine, but I have it. And it got to a point after I picked it up that I wasn't going to return it or give it back. Is that the type of player you want on your team? Is that the type of team that you want to have? I will say this to you, hot or not, what Kevin Kiermeyer and the Rays did is worse than what the Astros did. It is worse than stealing signs and relaying the signs with garbage cans because we all do that. The Astros were dumb enough to get caught. They went a little crazy with the garbage cans banging. There is not a team out there that I've come across or an executive out there that I've come across that would take proprietary information and use it against the team. Uh-oh, Coca, give me a second. I'm having a recollection. I'm having a recollection about the St. Louis Cardinals and the Houston Astros. I'm having a recollection about an employee of the St. Louis Cardinals who stole information from the Astros, proprietary computer coding information and information about players and draft picks. Uh-oh, I'm having a recollection that that employee got fired, suspended, and charged. It's stealing. Just because you're in between the lines doesn't mean you can commit the crime. You better be willing to do the time. Oh, this is not a big deal. It's just the card and how to approach hitters. Horse hockey. What's the difference? Proprietary computer coding or a handwritten card that you know is not yours? What do you do when you find something that's not yours? You look yourself in the mirror after you steal money out of a wallet? You look yourself in the mirror when you know that you found someone's playbook. What was the football player, Koku, who dropped a playbook on a bus or something, left it in a public place? It was a full NFL playbook, and people guard that like they're guarding the king's jewels. You don't give it back? You should be ashamed of yourself, Kevin, and the whole Tampa Rays, and you know how much I love you and how much it pains me. Pick of the day. 
The Cardinals won their 10th game in a row last night. I went on CBS Sports HQ. I had to give seven picks. I went five and two, got the parlay right, got the all-in pick right with the Dodgers, got the Cardinals right. I missed the Yankees. I thought it was too much to give 260. The Cardinals are H-O triple T. They're running away with the wild card. They're going to be going to L.A. or San Francisco to play the wild card game. That way to see that it was a two-team race between San Diego and Cincinnati, that's a straight loss. I don't remember the date of that way to see, but that's just not going to win. The Cardinals got hot, and they've stayed hot. The Brewers have a chance to get closer to clinching the division. They've already clinched a playoff spot. They lost to the Cardinals last night. The reason I chose the Cardinals last night on the queue is that when teams have clinched a playoff spot and they know they're going to win the division, there's this sense of letdown that happens. And the Brewers are a little stale at the moment, but they are so well managed by Craig Council and their president of baseball ops is so good, David Stern. Stearns or Stern, Coca? Is it Stearns or Stern? I can't think of it right now. But in any case, I'm very sorry that I don't know that. But what I will tell you is that the Brewers had a bit of a team meeting yesterday. That's what I would do if I were running the Brewers after they've lost a couple in a row. And you just say, hey, we got to start winning again. We got playoffs to start in two weeks. We're playing the Atlanta Braves in the first round, and we do not want to get upset. We want to make it to the LCS. And it starts with a win today over the Cardinals. David Stearns will do what he's supposed to do. So will Craig Council. The Cardinals winning streak will end at 10. Brewers over Cardinals. The way to see, thank you, Coco, is from September 2nd, 2021. You know what way to see is we tell you something's going to happen. If it does, we revisit it. If it doesn't, we revisit it. We will not be one of those gas bags that just says a bunch of crap and then hopes you forget about it. I told you the Reds and Padres would be the only teams competing for the second wild card. Wrong. When we come back, we're going to review a movie that my dental hygienist told me to watch. And boy, did I watch it. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. This is David. How are you? Thank you for rating, reviewing, following. Please tell your friends about Nothing Personal. We're building. We're building. We're building to a crescendo of excitement here at Nothing Personal. But one of the things that we do, by the way, are you on YouTube? Because I wear these jackets and shirts every day. And if you're not subscribing to the channel, why don't I just sit here in my skivvies? like other people who are doing podcasts that are mostly audio. And the majority of the audience, of course, is listening, and I appreciate that. But then you can't see the underground volcano to the left side of my left nostril. And you can't see that I match my blazer with my shirt, coincidentally, because I wear it all in a specific order. That's the Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. It's just Nothing Personal with David Sampson, not the. 
One of the things we do is watch movies. We get movies suggested to us every day on Twitter at David P. Sampson. I go to the dentist because I go to the dentist four to six times a year for a cleaning because I have an obsession with having clean teeth. I don't like anything in my teeth. I don't like plaque. I don't like tartar. I brush my teeth twice a day, morning and night, no matter what. It's led to a little gum rescission because I think I'm brushing a little hard. So I'm using a, a little less toothpaste right now, a softer brush. Teeth matter, folks. You only get one set. I know you get a second set, but that's baby teeth. Once they're gone, you have one set. If there's only one thing I could suggest to you, it's this. Floss. You are going to want your teeth. So I'm at the dentist. and. There's a conversation going on about nothing personal. And it was suggested to me because her name is Christy and her husband works in the movies. And he worked on a movie called Trauma, which is a documentary from a couple of years ago about soldiers in Afghanistan. And I said, I'd watch it and review it. And I watched it and now I'm reviewing it. Trauma is about five or six soldiers who are medics in the are in the army or Marines, doesn't matter. I can't remember. I want to say army. They fly helicopters into battle. They pick up wounded soldiers. They triage them in the helicopter. Then they deliver them to the base where they are getting more treatment. Sometimes they are dead. Sometimes they are not. The fact is that when you are a medic in the army in Afghanistan, you're going to see stuff that you don't want to see. You're going to experience things that you can't fathom. And then you're going to go home. And our armed forces has tremendous help in the VA. However, the trauma that these soldiers go through when they return should not be diminished. These are people who choose to help protect us. Now, you can argue all you want about the war in Afghanistan. Should we be there? Should we not be there? How do we leave? Should we have left? Should we have ever gone? Were there ever weapons of mass destruction in Iraq? Should we go there? Should we not go there? I'm okay with whatever political argument you want to make. But the bottom line is we need armed forces. We need people who are willing to protect us domestically and from foreign enemies. We need people who are willing to put their lives on the line so we can listen and do podcasts and talk about sports and other such amazingly lovely nonsense. Movies are made like Thank You for Your Service with Miles Teller. Plenty of movies about what happens when veterans come back, the way they're mistreated. A shout out to Fred Wilpon, who started a charity to take care of wounded veterans when they came back. There's many charities like it. But do we really take care of them properly? Do we really understand the trauma they went through? Do we really wonder? Do we just hear it and then ignore it? That the rate of veteran suicide is so much higher than the regular population? that the ability to hold down jobs is so difficult for so many because when they come back, first they're in a war zone, saving lives, seeing the most traumatic stuff in the world. A week later, they're feeding Gerbers to their baby at home who they have never met. This movie goes through the story 
of several people, and it's hard to watch, but so, so important to watch. It is filmed in a way that takes you from home back to Afghanistan, back to home to show sort of like an American sniper, except it's a documentary showing what can happen to people when they are forced to experience things that most of us will go our entire lives without experiencing. It's a very timely documentary right now because we obviously just pulled out, the US just pulled out of Afghanistan. All the things going on in Afghanistan. If you're in New York City right now, you're listening to this podcast because you don't want to go outside because of gridlock. It's UN week. And if there's one thing New Yorkers know, do not go outside during UN week. There's been all sorts of things written in the papers about the Taliban and what's going on in Afghanistan. So I ask that you take a minute or an hour and 28 minutes and watch something called trauma. Now, when you search it, you're going to have to rent it. It's like $3. It's the one with a, the, the red cross on it, not like the Jesus cross, the uh, American red cross is sort of the thumbnail for the movie Trauma. Christy, thank you very much for the suggestion. I'll see you in eight weeks. Okay, I want to talk about the uh, one of my favorite foils, AJ Prella. AJ, am I living rent-free in your head like I'm living in Steve Cohn's? Because everything I say that's going to happen with the Padres keeps happening. And you keep doing things that just make it so easy to talk about on Nothing Personal with A.J. Preller. The Padres made an announcement yesterday. They have fired their farm director. How many games out are the Padres right now? 20? Is that possible? Are they four out of the wild card now behind the Cardinals? They've completely faded. They had Manny Machado and Fernando Tatis meet the media finally. Maybe someone will explain to me why when there's an issue on the bench between your two $300 million players, you only allow them to meet the media days later. Maybe, the, maybe someone will tell me that. Machado and Tatis met the media and said the following, hey, we're good. We're brothers, that's what they always say. This happens in a family. We're very stressed. We have a lot to do here. We've got 13 games left. We've got to focus on that. We've got to win them all. We're five games out of the second wild card. We are 21 games out of the NL West, which we were told we were going to win by all of the prognosticators. Like in 14 of the 10 million simulations done, the Padres were going to make the NL West theirs. But in like all of the simulations, they were making the playoffs. Everyone chose them. So we're, we're under a ton of stress, folks. That's why we couldn't meet the media for all these days. But we're good. Don't you worry about us. And then, of course, they gave the line, which you always give when you have internal fighting and you say this to the public, but please don't believe it when people say it to you because it's absolute horse hockey. We are stronger because of what happens. It's not how it works, folks. We always say that, hey, our locker room is great because we had this all-out brawl and we got it out of our system and now we all love each other. Kumbaya, my Lord. Kumbaya, we're good. We're holding hands. We're doing a friendship circle. Day is done. Gone the sun. 
Our season's over, but I'm stuck with Fernando. He's a little baby, but so am I. What are we going to do without pitching? The season's done. All is not well. Safely rest. But the Padres have to do something, right? A.J. Preller, the president of baseball operations, has to go to his owner and say, hey, we're 21 games back. We're not going to make the wild card, but we know why. And I just want you to trust me. I want you to believe in me. We need to fire our farm director. I want to tell you what a farm director does. There's several departments. Scouting, their job is to go to every single diamond around the country, look at high schoolers, look at college players, look at minor league teams, look anywhere they're playing baseball, little league even. Identify players, project them as major league players. Then they go back to the cross-checker. A cross-checker checks the area scouts to say, hey, you said this guy was good, is he? Let me check him out. So I'm going to cross-check him. Cross-checking is like when you're doing legal research and you research one thing and then you cross-research and when it mixes and matches, you got yourself a winner. Well, cross-checking and scouting is when you have the sort of same review of the player as your area scout, your bird dog scout. That's just the name of someone who goes out and you don't pay him money a lot of money and you say, all right, this player's good. Then you draft the player and then you hand the player over to the player development department. The player development department, their job is to take the players who the scouts said were going to be good and make sure that they are good. Player development develops players up the minor league food chain into the big leagues. You already know the rate of success. The majority of players that are scouted do not make the big leagues. It is very difficult to be correct. You've got injuries. You've got projection that doesn't end up happening. I looked at his parents. They were both six foot four. I don't know why he's still five seven. Man, he was throwing 83 as a 12-year-old. That guy with those mechanics, he's going to be 95, 96. Oh, God, he's got no UCL. There's myriad reasons why players don't work out. And player development and scouting are always at odds. Because when the minor league teams do not perform, and I don't mean wins and losses, meaning they don't provide a pipeline of good players, they look to the scouts and say, man, what kind of dreck are you giving us? When players don't perform well in the minor leagues, the scouts, the scouts go to the player development people and they say, Jesus, you screwed up our guy. This guy was a surefire major leaguer. What did you possibly do? So scouting and player development is always at odds. The farm director's job is to take all of the players that are drafted that the scouts give them and then decide where the players are going to play. Single A, double A, triple A in conjunction with your GM and president of baseball ops. But the farm director's main job is to make up the minor league teams given the roster of minor league players, hire trainers, hitting coaches, pitching coaches, managers for each of the minor league teams, implement a plan for all of the minor leagues for hitting approaches and pitching approaches and workouts, et cetera. As you can see, farm director is a big job, important job. Here's what you don't do when you're the farm director. You don't make trades with other teams. That's what the GM and the president of baseball operations does. That's what they do. 
when you're making a trade for you, Darvish, let's say, you call your farm director and you say, all right, we're going to need to send a few prospects. Who, what are your thoughts on the following 10 guys? You give your thoughts based on reports that are done by the manager of a team because at the end of every minor league game, the manager writes up a game report. Here's how this guy did. Here's how this guy did. Then you've got meetings where you are communicating to your farm director and then up to your GM. Here's who's playing well. Here's who is still projected to be good. Scouts look at those reports and get pissed off when their players who they scouted who were supposed to be good are not playing well or they're not developing properly. You get together and say, all right, we're going to trade. We think we could trade these four guys. Don't trade these four guys. The GM calls another team's GM and says, we want you, Darvish. Who do you want, Jed, head of the Cubs? Well, we want the following four guys. Ooh, we can't trade you those guys because those guys were supposed to be good. Yeah, but we really want those guys. All right, we got to win at the big league level. We'll trade you those guys. So the farm director may lose players out of his system that he or she did not want to lose. They may lose a combination of players that he or she did not want to lose. But it is the GM's decision and the president and the owner. When your team is underperforming and you then fire the farm director, you are nothing but a cop out wimp who's trying to take the attention away from yourself because you're the one who stinks. Are there reasons to move on from your farm director? Not reasons that occur in August or September. Granted, is it possible that the Padres knew they were firing their farm director four months ago while they were playing well because they were not happy with how much money he wanted, his contract was up, or they were going to do a different implementation of a system in the minor leagues, or AJ was going to bring in another guy like Tingler, one of his friends who has no experience, who's going to end up getting having to get fired anyway. And so that's why they're making a change. It's not impossible. But the way the Padres are run, it's far more likely that Preller convinced the owner, hey, that's the problem. We got to move on from the farm director. And the owner, Peter Seidler, and the erstwhile control person, Ron Fowler, if they know anything after all their years in baseball, though this is Seidler's first year as control person, they know that at the end of the day, for them to win at the big league level, other changes are going to have to be made. Wait to see. The Padres aren't going to blame the fire, the farm director on their absolute dumpster fire of a season. Someone else is going to get fired above the farm director after this season. You wait to see it's going to happen because Peter Seidler is going to look at AJ and say, hey, you're lucky it's not you, but it could be soon. I still love you, though, but it's just business. This is nothing personal. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.